Now, I don't know about you, Tim, but um, I, I sometimes get into like my A game zone where like I'm like really into like something and I'm like, and I know it and I got to focus. I'm like, I got to, I got to be ready to, to do that thing. And then oftentimes, like if I'm not there, I'm not going to get there. But when I'm there, I got to like be there. Do, are, are you that same kind of way where it's like, you know, like you're going to be in the zone and you're going to go for it or what? Yeah. And I think that hundred uh, percent, everything comes down to, uh, to me is numbers and measuring those numbers. And if you aren't, if you aren't tracking, then it's not happening or whatever that cliche is. If, you know, if you're not measuring it, then you're not what, I don't know what the, the, cliche is, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a numbers driven guy and I need to know what the numbers are. And it's amazing to me when you see the numbers, how motivating that is. And if you don't pay attention to the numbers, how you can mislead yourself in terms of how successful you are. Like how often are you looking at the said data points daily, weekly, monthly? Uh, I think it depends. Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things, the more successful you become, the more you want to look at those numbers. And then if things are trending the wrong way, then you're like, uh, you know, maybe I'm, uh, I'll, I'll skip this day. I mean, it could be anything from a scale to, uh, to, to paces in terms of running or biking, swimming. Uh, but it also can be terms of numbers in terms of sales and revenue, uh, number of customers, whatever the case is. Uh, but in terms of business, I mean, those are, numbers that you need to track so that you know what that trajectory is yeah i think and then also to have some sort of context behind that too like knowing okay what else is about to happen here right you know so like oh okay like the bank account has a million dollars in it but i know i'm about to spend nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars tomorrow so really you know where, where is that number in the in the grand scheme of things if you will yeah and numbers are uh numbers are super uh, they're just so important especially when it comes to early stage ventures yeah, we're uh, super excited to jump in with our guest today. But I mean, number because numbers are really, really important. I mean, you need to know uh, what that trajectory is, or else you're probably not going to get uh, get a meeting with our guest. Hmm. Welcome, Tom. How are you? I'm great, Zach. Tim, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Are you, are you a big sports fanatic? Um, I'm a minor sports fanatic, I guess. I am a college football fan, and, and, and I, you can see a basketball in the background. That's from my son's uh, house league team that I coached. What about the football? Well, the football, that is a, a football that is a Jimmy Clausen signed football. I'm a Notre Dame alum, and I just happen to have that sitting up there on the shelf. Well, Jimmy Clausen didn't do anything much past uh, Notre Dame, so I guess that's <laughs> I guess you got to talk to him about that. Where did he even play in the NFL? You know, Carolina? I, don't know I, I, I don't recall where he went, where he was even drafted. It's been so long now. Uh, and I don't follow NFL football as much. Interesting. So, <laughs> what got weeks- you into – Sorry, Tim. No, two weeks in a row we talk college football on the show. Well, you know, it's it's important. Uh, what got you into kind of numbers and investing in and in, in, in being kind of who you are today? Well, so I feel better about that question than the one I thought you were going to ask was what got me to Notre Dame. <laughs> because I'm not sure at this point I probably couldn't get in there today. Uh, but what got me into what I'm doing today, it just always has been a, 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 an interest and a passion. I remember back I was sitting in my office at IBM. Uh, I was probably about 1984, and I read an article in Fortune magazine about someone that was a, a venture capitalist. And it was it was the first time I had heard the term. Although I'd been to business school, venture wasn't as big or as prominent, and uh, the startup ecosystem didn't didn't function or probably didn't figure as prominently in in, in business dialogue and in business curricula at that time. But reading this article about about this gentleman in Boston who was with a venture capital firm and, and what he had done and and. I, I just thought it was a fascinating, uh, a fascinating story, uh, and that that's probably sparked my initial interest. And then, like so many things along our career trajectories, it's something I ultimately um, kind of backed into. I, I was with IBM for a number of years in several business development, sales capacity, sales management roles. Uh, came out the other end of that experience, did another round of graduate school, and uh, went to work for a, uh, a subsidiary of, uh, of Hughes Electronics that was selling software. Uh, both federal and, and, and commercial, um, did that for a few years. Uh, the company consolidated with a, a larger player in the defense industry. And I was kind of looking around for things to do, and I stumbled upon an opportunity at what was then the Center for Innovative Technology that was trying to start a venture fund. Had a few discussions there and went on board, uh, and that initial uh, fund initiative uh, did not did not come to fruition. But a, a handful of years later, three years later, I was able to, to, to restart that. 
uh, taking some funding from uh, what was then a grant program and started what we knew as CIT gap funds. Were you in Virginia then? I was the in Virginia. Time? I yeah. was in Virginia the whole time. Uh, originally from Northwestern Pennsylvania, but made my way down here after after some time in the Midwest. And this is that. It's an interesting time, I guess, probably for you all right now in terms of a rebranding. You know, everyone knows knew you as CIT and CIT gap funds, and now there's VIPC. And uh, you know, walk us walk us through, catch everybody up in terms of what all that means today. Sure, it's it's kind of hard to follow if you if you if, <laughs> if you don't have the program in front of you. But we were. CIT or the Center for Innovative Technology from a time period long antedating my arrival there. I think, I think the CIT was founded in uh, by then Governor Chuck Robb in the uh, early mid 1980s, um, primarily as a well, as a technology driven economic development initiative. But in its initial incarnation was served as a tech transfer office for universities around the around the Commonwealth that didn't have those those resources in place. So bringing technologies out and finding markets for them from UVA, from VCU, from Virginia Tech, and, and other universities. Well, well, the organization went through a number of, of, of different iterations over time. I joined uh, G right around the 2000, a little bit before then, um, and we were probably less purely focused on, on, on universities then. Then I worked with the business community in a variety of, of capacities. Uh, we'd always been the, the managing nonprofit of an authority that was formed by the Commonwealth of Virginia. And there've been a couple of different authorities along the way. First, the Innovative Technology Authority, then one called IEIA. And I will not pretend to uh, be able to articulate what, what each of those letters stood for. But it, it, as a result of a General Assembly session, I guess three years ago, uh, the Virginia uh, uh, Innovation Partnership Authority was created. And we've subsequently be, been renamed and rebranded VIPC or Virginia Innovative Partnership Corporation. Some people take, say VIPC, some people say uh, say uh, VIPC, but ultimately that name supplants uh, the, 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 the former brand of CIT, and we are working with expanded functionality and, and expanded funding, which is great for us. Uh, we now consist of four divisions, which all we believe work synergistically to further the economic development interests of a technology-driven Commonwealth of Virginia. Yeah, can you? And I, I'm interested in hearing and learning more about the the Virginia Ventures partner or Virginia Venture Partners aspect of what you are doing uh, for the early stage founders that we have that are that are listening. Can you talk to us about about VVP? Absolutely, and and, and we are the uh, the the uh, <clears throat> primary program of one of the four divisions of VIPC. We are in the division of investments under VIPC and VIPA. Uh, but we're, we're known in the marketplace as Virginia Venture Partners prior to that CIT gap funds. And we are a early seed and early stage venture initiative. Most of our funding has come, not all, but most of our funding has come from the Commonwealth of Virginia to deploy at the earliest stage of company formation uh, and, 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 and capital accumulation to help spur uh, growth of these companies and, and, and acquisition of downstream funding from large angel investment. Or, uh, or, or or venture funds. We've been at this, hard to believe, since 2005. And we've invested in about 190 companies around the Commonwealth. And I mean, all around the Commonwealth. There, there, there isn't a county we've left untouched in terms of our, our search for uh, for, uh, for investment. Um, and and we've, we've invested in every re major region of the Commonwealth. We're, we're extremely excited about our work. And I hope we have a chance to talk about that in the Hampton Roads area uh, in, in our time ahead uh, here today. But we invest really in three uh, three major buckets, and these are internal constructs of the, the investment division. And those are our tech fund, our life sciences fund, and our clean tech fund, those initiatives. We, we've made the largest number of investments, not surprisingly, through our tech fund. Uh, we've done a lot in cybersecurity. We, 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 we view technology as writ, writ large. We, there, there's virtually no area of technology that, that, we, will not, uh, that we will not look at. Uh, we've probably had our greatest concentrations of, of sheer numbers of investments in cybersecurity and data intensive companies. Although we've made recent forays into autonomy, uh, we've done a lot in enterprise, increasingly with an element of AI or machine learning involved. We're, we're just reflecting the ubiquity of, of data, both in the enterprise and in the consumer space. What's a real, what, what is the typical, what stage company are you all looking for and what's the typical check size that you all write? 
Sure. So we uh, look at our investments as both pre-seed and seed. And in our pre-seed investments, we'll be up to $200,000 uh, in uh, through, our, through our innovation investment fund, our Virginia partner fund, or our Virginia founders fund. Our flagship Gap Tech, Gap, uh, Gap Life Science, and Gap Clean Tech, we write larger checks. We'll go up to a, a million cumulative investment in the company looking at both the pre-seed and, and the money we can deploy in that second stage combined. So the company had 200K at the pre-seed stage. We have latitude to invest up to 800K uh, at, at the seed stage or through our flagship gap funds. That is a doubling of where we were a year ago uh, in acknowledgement to the marketplace and to the amount of capital we have under management as a result of returns and, and other events that, have, uh, uh, that we've enjoyed. Is there a barometer or a gauge that uh, a business can understand what some of these words mean so like pre-seed seed because sure. i feel like you know a founder is isn't focused on the investment side of it from that perspective maybe maybe after some time they figure out what those words do mean but it does change you know no, that's great. Like, that you know, great, great you know in the pandemic in there like what's the rubric that people should follow as to like okay like my pre-seed where where how do you guys kind of that's a great point, Zach. And 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 these all these designations are in the eye of the beholder. If you go, if you look at PitchBook data, you'll see the average seed round in Virginia was about two point seven million last year, and that's far from from what we see as of you know our average deployment. <clears throat> so when we think of of pre-seed, we think really from the point of company formation up to uh, maybe just the other side of of MVP. So uh, we're really coming into companies, looking at them at the earliest stages. Uh, when there is a, a strong element of customer discovery going on, what does the company look like at that point? Well, it might be a lone founder or, or, or maybe a couple founders. Uh, it really, it's really operating at, at the garage stage. Um, the uh, at, at maybe from a pre-accelerator to uh, to just post-accelerator stage at, at what we would term pre-seed or for that initial deployment of capital. So we have a team that isn't fully formed. We have a company that is. Uh, um, it certainly uh, has not yet established product market fit, uh, maybe has um, some initial prototypes or is generating first revenue out there, uh, and, but definitely has feedback, positive feedback from the marketplace. As we move things toward um, uh, our, kind of our flagship gap fund programs where we can deploy larger capital at 200K to up to a million uh, spots, and we generally tranche our investments around anticipated achievement of technology and business development milestones. But I think a company at that stage uh, is probably getting a little bit closer to, to product market fit, maybe has some initial revenues in, uh, probably doesn't have a, a strong and proven recurring revenue model or sales uh, model yet in place, but you see the team start to flesh out if, if, if key resources perhaps had been uh, out of house, like technology development earlier on, they've been brought in house. Uh, that's important to us at, at that point. We see, you know, one or more advisors surrounding the company and we start to see things that resemble repeatable business models. T Tim uh, wrote on LinkedIn probably six months ago, the three things that um, he has seen as to why uh, businesses get get funded or if they if they did have them, um, these things, they would get funded. And the one thing that I think is always interesting is solo founder versus a team of, of founders. Uh, what, what are your thoughts, uh, maybe individually and as the, the Vipsy, as I'll go with it this time and not VIPC, like does, is it okay to be a solo founder? Do you, do you, do you see that these type of companies are getting invested or do they need to have a team of, of kind of support team around them? So, you know, I, I don't have the macro statistics. I'll tell you what, what we are predisposed toward. We always prefer to see a team. And, and, and that's, um, um, we will invest in solo founders. We've certainly done that. Um, but we think there are you know, probably a couple of different elements that are, are just rarely found in a single individual. And we like to see domain expertise and, and, and the ability to develop the technology. Sometimes, depending on the application, we can live with that being outsourced. Uh, for a period of time. But we do like to see that resident in the company. We like to see domain expertise. We like to see the, the business sense and the business experience as well. And I think in a first-time founder, uh, you rarely see that all in one package. You do occasionally, but 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 you don't always. And I think there are a number of other advantages that, that probably accrue to having more than one founder, not the least of which is simply an ability to bounce ideas back and forth, an ability to, to, to burden share 
um, with, with someone as you're going through this, this very challenging phase of getting a company off the ground. So for those reasons, you know, we, we probably tend to, to look for balance, uh, it, it probably distributed across more than one person. And the instance, we do have a loan founder, though. I mean, I think that can be, uh, the, you know, you can work with that in the context of bringing other people around the company as advisors, as early stage investors. But, but generally, we, we do think it takes more than one perspective, more than one, um, one single person to, to evolve a company at this stage. Yeah, I definitely, uh, certainly to have that second engine, so to speak, that uh, yeah, they, that someone can bring the, fly the plane for a little bit until uh, you recover uh, so that you can avoid that crash landing if you do have that solar, solo founder. Um, well, even in like solo sports, they have other helpers. I, I don't know what the right word is, you know, teammates to, oh, yeah. to be there. You know, I'm thinking about tennis and the amount of coaches that they have with them to help them through that process. Right. And those are, you know, invested people in a quote unquote solo sport. Uh, there's a there's a ton of, of of other teammates that are out there to help them. And so yeah. I, I, I think mean, you maybe... look at uh, auto racing, you got spotters, you got a pit crew, you got, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you got all kinds of stuff that tons uh, of tons of teammates around you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I give you all a lot of credit. So I want to say back, I don't know, five, six years ago, uh, I mean, it was the perception in Hampton Roads anyway, was, you know, that CIT at the time didn't didn't write a lot of checks, didn't, you know, the most common word that was used was no. Uh, it seems like you all <laughs> have turned, turned that around, uh, you know, and to your credit, um, are the are the quality of businesses getting better? Are there more businesses? Are you spending more time in Hampton Roads? Is it a combination of all those, all three? What? Um... Well, well, because I'll never, I'll never say no again here, Tim. And the answer is <laughs> yes to all the above. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I think a few things uh, probably. Uh, <clears throat> you know, our, our model has evolved, and in, 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 in teams mature, and, and teams evolve, and you know, we've always, we've always made a, a, an effort to. Uh, to invest across the Commonwealth of Virginia, sometimes with better success than, than others. I think a few things have happened. Um, certainly what we've seen going on in, in Hampton Roads with, with certain ecosystem partners down there has been you know, a tremendous assist to have organizations like 757 with the, with the Accelerate and uh, with the 757 Asian Group uh, really carrying the banner for the region is very helpful to you know to elevate the profile of businesses down there. That we've done a, a, you know a fairly large number of, of shared investments now with Seven Five Seven Angels and a, and a pretty good handful of things uh, with with Seven Five Seven Accelerate and and, uh, um, and and through the Accelerator program down there. So that that's very uh, that's very helpful to, to highlight those businesses for us and to have an investment partner uh, down there in the region. Uh, that that's tremendously useful. We've also probably been spending a little bit more time down there physically. Uh, we now have an office down there. My colleague Alex Euler sits in, in Newport News, so has uh, gets some some time uh, down there. We've opened up offices as, uh, as our headquarters of Vipsy has actually shifted from Northern Virginia to Richmond. We've built up uh, a presence in the Richmond office, so easier to address other areas of the state. Uh, the other thing I'll point out, though, and, and, and gee, I wish we had been smart enough to realize how we could have been using technology, you know, five years ago or even mm -hmm. four years ago prior to the pandemic. Uh, we've probably had a bit of a pandemic tailwind uh, just in, in terms of, of, of being able to be present. We've done a lot more virtually. We're out of the office by, you know, by definition, we have a distributed team. Uh, we're using, you know, making much more use of technology, not just to facilitate communications within the organization, but really to interact with the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Hampton Roads and elsewhere around the Commonwealth. And just to, for instance, my colleague Jen O'Daniel had this great idea at the front end of COVID. As I was saying, there is no way we're going to write a check to anyone we can't sit across the table from. Well, I walked that back in about three weeks when I realized, well, this ain't going to stop anytime soon. And we've got to keep the engine going. We've got to keep investing. Uh, and and what, changed, what changed that, though? I mean, because that technology was there before. I know. I know. But we weren't making use of it. And so many people weren't making use of it. Would we have had the Zoom conversation five years ago? I, I don't know. Uh, but now we're doing a biweekly Zoom uh, uh, a coffee with Virginia Venture Funds where we have uh, we'll, we'll do workshops, panels, fireside chats which have been great for getting our name out there, keeping us visible with entrepreneurs, but maybe more importantly, uh, helping to foster a, a community of, of stakeholders in the, in the entrepreneurial ecosystem around the Commonwealth, where we have groups from 
from around the Commonwealth joining and participating in these conversations. And we simply weren't doing that. So here we, we have a way to become more visible, uh, to remain prominent and, and top of mind with uh, uh, with entrepreneurs even after we drive out of the region because we're doing these events. So uh, that has probably played into our hands. Well, I remember yeah, Jason Calacanis said, Loom, Zoom, Room. He never would have done it before himself. And he's one of you know the, the greatest angel investors of all time. He says, I get a, a Loom video from someone. If I like it, then I'll get on a Zoom call with them. And then at some point, maybe I get into a room with them. And that's right. uh, it, it is kind of interesting to think that you guys really didn't uh, work that way before. Well, and, I, well, and, and nobody did. I mean, we always talked about how COVID accelerated everything three oh, to yeah. five years ahead. Um, it really, it really is stunning how much, how much changed with that. Um, really, really is. Yeah. And I just added uh, to the star wheel calendar, uh, your next uh, coffee uh, meetup uh, with, is with drone up, which is, I was really, really happy to see. I, I hope that drone up is really embraced by this area. I mean, they're, they're doing really, really well. And, and, I would I would like to see a lot more support of the startups that we have in the Hampton Roads region because uh, that's a business that's going to make a difference. No, we're very excited about, about that. We're very excited about many of our, our our opportunities down there. The governor visited Drone Up a few weeks back. He was in Body uh, just a, a couple yep. weeks ago as well, and, and things like that can were just great to shine a spotlight. I think on entrepreneurial activity. Do you? Uh, do you report directly to uh, to the governor's office? Uh, no, I don't. We kind of are, are uh, how to best express this. I, I guess probably a, a dotted line report. Karen Merrick, the new uh, uh, Secretary of Commerce and Trade, is vice chair of the VIPA and VIPSI board. There's a, they, mm. they one in the same board. So VIPSI is the managing nonprofit for uh, for VIPA. And uh, Secretary Merrick uh, sits on that board as vice chair. So in that way, we tier up to the governor's office. Gotcha. I, and, and, the, and the premise behind that question is just Zach has run a space before. I have run a space before. You are managing many, many investments and have a portfolio. And it's just, as we all know, there's no overnight success. I mean, we have to think in five, seven, 10 year cycles and to, I would imagine that your position has got to be really, really difficult when Virginia operates in four year cycles or two year cycles, you know, to, it's just it's, it's really, really difficult. I would imagine that's not easy for you either. Well, you know, I, I guess I would, would say this, you know, I think the three of us certainly recognize this is a long tail process and people that have been involved in formation and funding of startups invariably recognize this. It isn't an overnight thing. Uh, jobs aren't created overnight. Uh, we don't create jobs. Companies create jobs. We enable we enable companies. We try to bring resources together by way of capital and and and, and connectivity and, and value add uh, resources where we can to to help enable companies growth. But I think you know I think in this administration you have um, a secretary of commerce and trade who uh, was a founder of of one of the ra most rapidly growing software companies in history in, in web methods. Uh, we have a governor who has uh, been a provider of risk capital uh, for much of his career. So I think we have people that uh, in chain of command that, that have a, a firm understanding of what it is that that we do and the value that we can that we can help create. When a founder says that they need to raise capital and they've decided that the numbers, let's say $250,000, how specific do they need to be with the use of where that capital is going to go? Well, things change. I mean, with a seed stage company, we you know we can pin people down to specifics, but specifics can change. Pro forma shift, um, sources and their uses, uses of capital shift. Um, you know, we like to know where, where our, our, our capital is going. We don't want to see it go... Uh, uh, to uh, <clears throat> to uh, uh, so founders or you can recover you know back pay or, uh, or or to retire debt. We want to see it uh, going to build the company and, and our you know our deal docs reflect. So that. don't raise money to buy, to build a house. Is what you're saying? Uh, that's our preference, back, <laughs> Yes. Because I think a lot of people say, hey, I want to raise money. I think yeah. I need to, I, I need, I need 250 grand. Then you ask them, what are you going to use that money for? And their answer is, uh, and they don't have one. 
Well, so, I, 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 I think it's right. I mean, I think you have to have a sense of what you're going to use it for. And I, you know, I, I guess our other experience has been if somebody says they need 250 grand, well, you can probably double that. And that's what they need uh, because I think people are uh, uh, invariably optimistic about what they can create for a little bit of capital. But again, that's very sad. That's very case. That's very case specific. But we do like to know what 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 the use of proceeds is. Um, everything we do from the time we first meet a company is is really about right sizing the capital infusion and figuring out where we can participate, how we can participate to the betterment of the company, and to the betterment of the Commonwealth. So, you know, we we, we go down this pathway and, and and we try to envision from the first meeting on what the key business and technology development milestones are and. and and trying to work with the founder to determine how much capital they need to achieve those. We know we're not going to be the last capital in nine cases out of 10. Uh, we're probably, uh, uh, probably multiple rounds of capital are going to follow us. Um, and, and, and we won't we'll only be able to participate to a certain, to a certain point given our capital reserves, but we want to make sure the company is properly capitalized. And, and when we have, a vision of where the company is going and, and kind of what that the next set of milestones are. We can help to right-size the capital and work cooperatively with the company to source that additional capital such that they can get to maybe a, a million-dollar round in which we participate with three or 400000 and then visual and, and then when the company gets to that point, help them visualize where they need to go from there. Do you all request uh, pro rata rights when you do a structure or deal? We generally have pro rata rights and deals, yes. Yes. We anticipate uh, participating downstream, and we can and we, and we can use those to a point, but obviously we don't have immense capital reserves. We cap out at a million dollars, so we've looked at creative ways to try to resolve that through SPVs. We've given thoughts to opportunity fund creation because otherwise you wind up simply ceding those rights to other investors, which is not necessarily a bad outcome. But right. uh, what is it about? Uh, you, you talked about uh different angel groups and accelerator programs and things like that what what is it about those programs or those platforms those organizations that is is potentially uh better than 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 other stuff like like what is it about them that's 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 lucrative to get you guys to want to jump on board with them so i think um you know so much of this whether uh, you're in the kind of a quasi public environment as we are or in the private sector early stage investment terms and relationships um, and the point number one, point number two, is that this truly is a, a, a team sport. We, you know, we talked about having many coaches around, many players around the table, even a lone founder. And I think the more trusted relationships you have around the company, the more sets of eyes, the greater perspective you have on, uh, on an early stage company, the better served you will be. You will be the earlier, the, the easier the diligence path is. So if you have uh, people on the ground in, in investing in a certain locale with hyper-local knowledge or specific knowledge of a company, even if you're not in the same city, it's useful because they can observe them day to day. And accelerator experience is useful, not only for the company who hopefully is benefiting from the value-add services it provides, but from the standpoint of the accelerator manager and downstream investors, because you, you figure a company's an accelerator for, for three months, that's 90 days of living diligence you have on a founder and with the company. That's a very valuable perspective to have for an investor coming from uh, from the outside. I'm just uh, I'm curious if you've seen anything on uh, on your end yet. Markets have definitely cooled down. Uh, valuations are not as high uh, as they were a few months ago. Have you all started seeing that um, on your end yet, or do you think that's just uh, that we're something that Virginia is still preparing for? So, I, you know, I think it depends where you are in the food chain. I think seed probably experienced that a, a little bit, a little bit later. Um, I, there has certainly, if you look at the first quarter data from this year, you've seen some compression. You've slowed down an M&A activity, a little bit of compaction in terms of valuations and the correction that, 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 is, that is due. Uh, how far that goes, I don't know. Um, I, I think that we're still going to see... Um, uh, um, buoyant valuations, let us say, in, in the very near term, simply because of the capital overhang. Um, at some point, um, you know, as, as, as interest rates rise, uh, presumably the stock market cools down, you have the denominator effect with LPs, you have lesser allocation to venture. But right now, you've got a lot of, a lot of dry powder out there. Uh, in, in early stage venture all the way up the chain. I mean, you've seen record numbers of, of, of you know, venture investments made. If you look 
uh, you know, going back over the last uh, over the last uh, year, you know, a couple of years prior to that. I mean, big numbers out there, and you see atypical players coming down to participate in very early stage deals that you wouldn't have anticipated from growth uh, uh, growth uh, funds and, and from and from PE funds. So I think there's uh, a little bit a little bit longer to go. We're not seeing a significant or stark correction in valuations. Uh, but I will also say that we have always tried to remain prudent. Now, we've seen an uptick and we're paying up. We're paying more than we were paying, you know, a year ago, two years ago. What, what had been four, you know, a, 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 a valuation of four at the angel stage, well, eight is the new four, right? Mm -hmm. We're not immune from that. But we have tried to remain disciplined and, and keep our heads above what we put money in. You know, I worry about, um, I worry as I, as I read about um, funds that, that, you know, commit money, uh, uh, with, with, with immense valuations, you, you wonder if they're going to wind up under-reserved at, at some point and whether they're going to be able to maintain a position. So, you know, we've tried to right-size our capital all along, tried to maintain our, our, uh, uh, our you know, a, a relatively conservative posture around valuations because we think companies are going to be better served over the long run for that. What, uh, I'm sorry, Zach, real quick. What, what, do you, what advice do you give founders today that are thinking about approaching you uh, for an investment in terms of how they value their company? I think you've got to let the market speak to mm -hmm. the valuation. I mean, it, it's fine to come out to have a number in mind, but ultimately uh, the market, and, and we're not the only player in the market, obviously, but the market is the arbiter of, um, of, uh, of the valuation. Sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong on it. Um, uh, if a company comes to us at a valuation we believe is too high, we will, we will decline and uh, let let invite them and invite them to come back with a term sheet that <clears throat> that sustains that and that gives credence to that valuation or that maybe um, maybe moves a little bit. You know, always happy to look at deals a second or third time uh, until we're until all parties are comfortable with it. Yeah, that's, with a, invest that's a toughy thing. Yeah, with investing about two hundred companies over the years, how quickly do you guys know that the company is going to be one that you invest in? I mean, is there is there something that you see from a pros and cons list that you're just like, that's it, I'm I'm, I'm there. Well, I would say that too is highly variable, Zach. I mean, we've made investments in as little as twenty days. That was our record. That was wow. That that was imprudent, as it as it turned out. So you know, we generally tell people that we're about a three month cycle from first meeting to. The deal closed, but it is highly variable depending on the readiness of, of the company for the diligence process. Um, <clears throat> if, if, uh, you know, we encourage companies to have the deal room in order. Uh, we encourage early meetings. We're delighted to meet with people well in advance of when they want to raise capital for coaching and invite them into our coffee sessions and invite them to interact with with other, with our portfolio companies or others in our orb. Uh, if that can be useful to help them prepare for the cycle, I will say it is uh, it is uh, it is variable. We try to do it within uh, within ninety days. I'm not sure that answered your question. What 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 kind of you said uh, companies that are ready ready for diligence? What type of things should they be prepared for through that diligence? Yeah, I think they I think they should have elements of their story in order. They should have company formation documents in order. They should have um, uh, you know obviously the the, the the bare minimum pitch deck. Uh, um, executive summary just the initial marketing tools but then from a standpoint um, of, of, of our due diligence checklist i mean we want to see the formation docs we want to make sure the ip is plotted in the company we want to make sure that there are uh, non-disclosure agreements signed we want to make sure that um, um and I, uh, <clears throat> we want to make sure that, that any material contracts are available for a review we want to take a look at what they have by way of um of pro forma financials we want to take a look at the you know, at, at, at the bank accounts, we want to take a look at the pipeline. So any of the elements that a company is using to, to persuade a company that, that it's a prudent investment, we want to see, we want to have organized and, and readily available. Sometimes companies, especially if it's the first time they've raised capital, they're not prepared for that. It takes a little bit longer. Hmm. Um, and then, and that's what that's what you're referring to in, uh, in terms of the data room, correct? Having all correct. that organized yeah. in a Dropbox account or Google Drive or whatever the case is. And then when you get that meeting, the founders can then share that with the people yeah. that are doing the due diligence. And you didn't say anything that wild in there. I was expecting you to say something like ridiculous. And I was like, okay, like, well, I mean, these are things that people should probably already have, like, but I guess they don't. Some of the basic, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It, it just depends. Sometimes they have a cap table that's, that's prepared and clean. Sometimes they don't. 
Um, it, it just uh, it just depends. We have a checklist that once we enter in due diligence, we have a checklist in the box file structure that we share with people that they, they use for years, you know, years later as they as they raise funds. So um, we, we, we hope that's a, a utility for them. Yeah. And one thing that uh, that I when I mentor or work with uh, founders is is telling them to keep a list of everyone that you've pitched to and include include those people on your monthly updates in terms of this is the progress that I had this month, especially if you're on a 90 day cycle uh, by sending those monthly updates out. It's it's it, people that are looking to invest, maybe waiting. It may not be a no, I'm not interested. They have a, a network of people they can forward that to. If you're in the middle of a 90 day cycle, then you, those updates continue to hopefully trend in the right direction. Uh, what, what's your take on uh, founder updates? So I think I think that's fantastic. And, and, and I think that um, probably investor communications is uh, um, I'm not sure people give enough attention to that. And I think investor communications, investor updates start long before there's ever a check written into the company. Um, if, if you, uh, I, I think investors can use this, can use, um, um, you know, short, bursty, bulletized communication of the great advantage to help build relationships long in advance of approaching an individual for money. If you can get someone on board that way and get them interested and familiar with, uh, with what you're doing and they can, they can follow a growth path of, of your company, I think that, that greatly eases the investment cycle. And post-close, um, I think it's very important to keep your investors uh, informed and you know we have observation rights we with, with boards we don't take a formal board seat but we have observation rights we have information rights we have inspection rights we have all these rights and you can you know you can know, legislate all this stuff but ultimately it comes down to relationships and the more informal communications you know i we love to get you know a quarterly if not a monthly update uh, from from the companies in which we invest quarterly is probably adequate to be frank just bulletizing the accomplishments and the challenges so we're aware apart from the informal dialogue we have in the post-close. And that goes directly back to how we opened up the show in terms of you know, tracking numbers. And <clears throat> I mean, to me, I love getting monthly investor uh, uh, founder updates to uh, because it's the companies that are doing well. I mean, it's almost like to the date, first of every month, second of every month, those uh, investor updates come in. And I, I mean, I really, really enjoy reading those. And the companies that aren't may not be doing so well, those are the ones that you don't necessarily hear anything about. But, you know, another you think, important... Yeah. Do you think that they're afraid, though, to tell you that's why? Because they're not that, doing well and they're, like, kind of embarrassed by it. But actually, if they told you, that could actually help them more because then those people who <clears> invested would want to cycle them back through. I mean, they don't want to lose their money. So it's like... Not to jump well, on your parade there yeah. on that question, but I mean, I, f I feel like there's some sort of embarrassment aspect of. Well, of I think that. that there is, and I'll let Tom answer that as well. But the other part of that investor uh, update is uh, the section should be asks. This is how you can help me. Yeah, and, and that's a great time to identify. It could be a super small tweak in in their revenue model or a, a key introduction somewhere, and it could totally change everything around. But. I would love to hear Tom's take on that. No, I, I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, I, I think you want to be forthcoming and you want to be timely with information on the company in both good times and bad. It's like I always tell my kids, bad news doesn't age well, right? You know, you want if uh, if something isn't going well, you, you, you want to get that out there too, as, as well as the accomplishments. I think that's critical. And I think you, uh, you you put out a couple, you know, manageable asks for individuals. That's why people invest. People, uh, you know, generally the people we invest with, and certainly in, in our case, we don't want to be nor expect to be uh, purely passive investors. If we can help, we want to help. Uh, we need to know what the issues are. So sometimes you get things in board meetings. Sometimes you get them in the interim calls. But it doesn't hurt to reiterate in, in your regular monthly communicator, quarterly communications with investors. Yeah, well, they're going to find I mean, out at some point, right? That's right. That's right. Well, especially uh, as Tom, as you mentioned, I mean, it's just all about the relationship. You know, so when it comes time around where you're looking for follow on funding or you need a bridge around or something like that, and then you get the update, it's like, well, where were the last however many updates that uh, that I was looking for? So, you know, we have, we have a, a large portfolio at any one time. We have 150 active companies and we have uh, five people that are writing deals including myself and a couple of associates supporting that. And, and as our program grows in the months ahead, we'll, we'll add to that team, but we're, we're, we're stretched pretty thin. So we add value episodically and where we can, as well as do new deals. So these sort of 
communications are, are very important to get us focused quickly on what the issues are with the company. All right, maybe a curveball, but uh, you, you said the the tech aspect of something that you guys have have done a decent amount in, right? Zach, you froze up there for a second, so yeah. uh, okay. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, uh, I can't hear you. This will give me time to process the code. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it shouldn't be that hard. So you you said that cybersecurity businesses are something that you guys have dabbled in a, a decent amount over over the years. Uh, and at the NFT kind of crypto space is something that has gotten pretty big, and the scam aspect has gotten even bigger in there. Are you seeing anything in that space? It seems like the whole NFT and then the NFT scam yeah. space is something that's. It, I did. It, it I did like want to ask Tom. Oh, I'm, I, I wanted to ask that as well in terms of the your your outlook on Web three. Your thoughts on it is that something that you're seeing? We are seeing. I, I wouldn't say we're being flooded with with Web three deal flow. I recognize again we're. We're investing and focused. Actually, we see deal flow from a lot of different parts of the country, but we're focused. We tend to focus zero in on what we can invest in, which is within the confines of Virginia's borders. So it's uh, it's difficult to uh, to invest thematically or have a tight technology-driven thesis. We happen to do a lot in cyber. Uh, well, for a couple of different reasons, we, we've simply seen a lot of deal flow in cyber, given our proximity, I suppose, to federal government and. Uh, that we were a partner, a founding partner in, in the Mach 37 accelerator going back a few years. So we had broad exposure there. Um, in terms of, uh, of NFT, blockchain, uh, Web 3.0, yeah, we see an uptick in those areas, no question. And we think there's great opportunity in, in the future. And we see these technologies um, uh, you know, woven into uh, to other enterprise applications. Um, we're not deluged at this point. We do see some interesting things in that space and um, you know, look forward to seeing more. Is so, there a go ahead, Zach? Because you would think with Ashburn and all the data centers and everything like that, that would be a great. I, I don't, it, I'm surprised there's not more, even Northern Virginia businesses kind of hopping on board that that bandwagon. So I think we will. Time. I think we will. Yeah. I, I was curious if, if there is a, a sector that you would expect to see more. Uh, involvement or something that 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 virginia is just missing out on so missing out on missing out maybe that yeah that that was really poorly phrased Um, no 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 interesting um i guess i'm probably gonna come back and and touch on something like that i mean i just look at uh i mean especially like one thing i mean is is space something that we should be looking at we got wallops island we've got nasa langley uh, I mean, there's just an infinite, uh, just a ton of money being poured into space right now. Is that something that Virginia could be a leader in? Is is climate something that Virginia could be a, a leader in? I mean, what would you anticipate is going to be something that we should focus on that we may not be focused on just so, yet? So, you know, we see a lot of really interesting emerging technology areas. You touched on uh, drone up going back a little bit. So autonomy, um, interesting. We've got uh, a handful of investments in um, in airborne autonomy, we we should probably uh, look to see more marine autonomy. Um, you know, move toward uh, toward venturability uh, in, in in some point in the future. Um, resilience, coastal resilience. We get the rise accelerator down in, in, in your neck of the woods. Coastal resilience should be uh, should be a, a significant theme. Cyber, I think, will remain um, strong. I think we're starting to see emerging. Um, you know, emerging cluster in insure tech and fintech, uh, w- which I, I think is is super interesting. We do have a, a couple of very interesting uh, investments in, uh, in in space. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Link Global, but they effectively are uh, launching a constellation of low Earth orbiters that function as uh, as cell towers in the sky. So you'll have the ability to connect uh, with 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 your standard handset with with, with the Apple iPhone that you carry in your pocket every day. Uh, to, to satellites without any software or hardware modification. So some some really interesting stuff going on in that area. I think we should expect to see, and I hope we see more in um, in the life sciences. And I think with we'll, we'll have a little bit of an opportunity to, to, to put more capital to work here in the months and years ahead. And I hope that that can be an area of focus for us as well. So those are some of the things that, that come to mind. Then they're cross-cutting technology areas they don't associate with this being sector specific like AI and machine learning. Um, you know, I think uh, 
and again, we're probably enhanced by COVID. We've seen the digitization of everything with it, coupled with advances in AI and machine learning. I mean, we see a world of, of data ubiquity, right? I mean, there's just more data. We talked earlier about the ability to invest in different locales. Well, there's so much more data available on startups and on investors and on anything right at our fingertips than there was even three, four years ago. Um, that's just going to be a, a growing trend. You you used the word optimist before we, we pressed record. You are an optimist. I think the things that you just said where you're optimist about those, like what bring you back to the roots of when you became an optimist. Do you do you recall that something that was built up in your childhood? Like how, because I think a lot of people are actually negative Nancy's and negative Nick's. I've never used the word negative Nick there before, but like they're not optimism optimist on this aspect like is that something that um is just something from childhood is it did it switch at some point like what, what are the roots for you in optimism <laughs> oh boy um because yeah. you went to notre dame and i don't know that that can be a really optimistic i was gonna place. say I, i'm a bills fan and a sabers fan that's where my optimism comes from but hey, uh, i can say what 33 years since the last national championship i'm, you, you, you're, I'm sure gonna be an optimist right so oh. um look i i think um um, I don't know what makes someone think more optimistically. Uh, um, I don't know. Maybe it's not having any other recourse, right? I mean, uh, we, we all face up and downs in, in, in our lives. It's a matter of just remaining uh, uh, balanced and centered and, you know, with an eye on the horizon and toward the future. And, you know, the sun's always going to come up. Uh, it just it, it just does. And we'll continue in our lifetimes to do so. Uh, so that, that in and of itself is a cause for optimism. When you look at, at how the environment has changed, and you know, I, I've spent a number of years in Northern Virginia, but have the luxury of moving around the Commonwealth. And when I look at how, I mean, you see this anywhere you live, but if you could just, uh, you know, take stills of, 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 of photographs of how your, your, your neighborhood, your environment, the shopping center, the airport, the roadways have changed over a multi-period of time, you, you, you see progress. You see this uh, proliferation of of technology that has this just extraordinary ability to um, to democratize society and to make information available to people regardless of where they live or uh, or, or any other characteristics about their demographic and has the ability to shrink boundaries to shrink distance between people. How, how can you not be optimistic? That's that's my Pollyannish view of the world. <laughs> In terms of optimism. Uh... Obviously, you all write checks in hopes yep. that there's a, a successful exit. What uh, what do the proceeds from a successful exit go? Where do they go? Uh, so they come back in, in into the kitty. Um, they come back into our fund um, <clears throat> to to redeploy um, in, in future investments. As we've always done, we've been able to build up reserves by that over the years. We've got a couple of good return years, which have given us the ability then to deploy more capital to increase the ceiling uh, that, we, that we can put into other um, to other uh, companies that have been able to, to, to send money to the entrepreneurial ecosystems division within Vipsy to make investments in entrepreneurial infrastructure and good things like that. So uh, there's a virtuous cycle that I think is set off by, by this. Um, and, you know, when I look at how the program has progressed over the years, it's not just, just returns, but maybe the most important thing is the network that we've been able to build up. When you figure we've, we've done 180 investments, there's 180 founding teams, 180 uh, uh, times some multiple of investors, both concurrent and downstream of us, 180 advisory teams, 180 CTOs. It's a great network of folks that we've been able to build up and that we can leverage on behalf of uh, uh, really of any company in the Commonwealth with, with, with whom we work. Um, so that's that's pretty exciting. It's like Warren Buffett's snowball rolling downhill. It just gets bigger and bigger. And hopefully that's some of what we've been able to create. And with, uh, you know, while we deal in modest sums of money, even today with our investment program, um, hopefully that snowballs as cash is leveraged from third party investors and um, works all to the benefit of the Commonwealth. How often are you guys researching into things that seem absolutely ridiculous? So the, the question is, pref I'll preface the question with, there's a show on Amazon Prime called Upload. And the whole idea is that when you die, you can actually be uploaded into this virtual world, but then still talk to some loved ones over here. Like, are, are those type of things just completely make believe? Or is there stuff into that that like you guys are looking into and companies are pitching to you? 
I mean, is anything possible? Like, are we going to die and be able to talk to these people? Because it seems like a pretty wild concept. But Zach, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming back as a force ghost. <laughs> a who? A force ghost. Okay. You got to go back and watch Star Wars, right? So uh, <clears throat> I've only watched seven of the nine. Look, I I I, I think that um, we're limited by our imaginations and the. Um, the daily uh, marginal accumulation of knowledge, you know, that again, now uh, with, with the technology we have at our, our disposal, the ability to shrink distances, what was once uh, tacit knowledge, you know, held in isolation in one part of the world or in one academic department is now more widely available uh, through the miracle of Zoom and other technologies and uh, that we use, we can share information much more readily. So the pace of, ch of change will accelerate. Um, more, more to the point with with with, with your question, or something's uh, just out of the realm of of imagination. Well, I don't know. I suppose automobile travel was not not too long ago. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up with the with the internet. I didn't grow up with a phone in my pocket, uh, let alone the ability to communicate with that phone to anyone on the planet by virtue of, you know, having a, a, a cell tower in the sky. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we're bound in our perceptions of what is real and what is achievable by uh, the, you know, the temporal bounds that restrain us. But, but who knows where things go, right? So, no, I don't think anything's too crazy. Um, how much time do I spend actively researching that? Well, yeah. you know, for better or worse, I tend to be bogged down with 150 company portfolio and trying to get the next deal done. <laughs> the but we do try to look ahead. We do try to think ahead of what can be possible in this market with the technology trends we see with the resources at our disposal. Yeah, I can't get my uh, wrap my head around the whole uh, metaverse thing. I mean, when you have McDonald's and uh, right. like places like that that are already investing in the metaverse, I just that I, I don't know. Maybe you can explain it to me, Tom. You're smarter than I am, but I just I don't get it. Um, well, I'm not sure I fully get it yet, and I'm looking for a few more proof points. But but there are people investing in it, and there are people that are uh, big, uh, yeah, a lot of money too. And, and and look, I think it does offer a capacity for enhanced human interaction, enhanced commerce, um, and you know, we'll we'll likely we'll likely see it. We will get there, and we'll you and I will be adopters. Um, is yeah. Metaverse just the um, Facebook Oculus commercial? That's what no, they but but that was a, a smart play on Zuckerberg's part to, to kind of uh, claim that Meta as his his brand. But uh, I mean, like Snoop Snoop Dogg is is really really big into the Metaverse in terms of selling plots of land. I mean, it just it's 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 wild, but it expands beyond Facebook, Zach. Got it. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I put on Oculus goggles once, um, but it, ha it has to do with those goggles, right? The metaverse, no or yes? Tim, I don't think so. I, I oh. but I, 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 I'm still trying to learn. And well, if it has anything to do with Oculus, I put those goggles on once, and I got so dizzy that I almost puked. So, uh... <laughs> I'm curious, Tom, if you're able to share in terms of like, are you able to share? a deal that you all passed on that you re that you really wish that you were able to participate in that deal. What was the biggest thing you would have? Yeah, that's never, missed? that's never happened. That's never happened. <laughs> we all, we always get it right. Um, sure. I won't, I won't, not by name. I won't, but, but and this was, uh, the, this is the one that, that probably comes back to me from the early days of our investment firm, first couple of years of operation. And we were very focused on uh, things that were more IP intensive and, and, uh, as the Center for Innovative Technology, we're uh, profoundly wedded in our investment thesis to, to you know, deeper tech applications. And um, this was a, a, a lower tech application, and, and we just didn't think there was enough there uh, in terms of a technology blocking factor to be, uh, you know, to be a, 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 one of our early signature investments for the program. The company went on to do quite well, it did extremely well and sold out to a corporate strategic, and it was a uh, I uh, had early stage investors from a particular region come up involved, and it was uh, just a great story all around. I wish we could have been a part of it in hindsight. So we've we've missed things like uh, like that. Um, you know, I don't think um, I can't say we haven't missed too many because I, I'm sure I'll as soon as I get off the phone, my office, all my <laughs> colleagues will remind me of five deals that I I specifically took a pass on. 
Um, but but it's, that's what makes the job so interesting and difficult. Well, well, it is. And I don't think you'll talk to any early stage investor that doesn't think that they've missed things by, you know, conversely, you, you see things that you're just sure are, are going to be big wins that turn out not to be. Um, and this all just reinforces my opinion that, that you know, um, it, it, so much of this turns on, on the individuals involved, the people involved, um, that, that the team really does trump the technology or the market any, any day. Um, that's, that's my key takeaway from having done this for 16, 17 years. Well, there, there was a company way back when, I think the second cohort of Hatch, that on paper had everything perfect founder had gone through a, a, a previous company had sold had sold aspects of that sold the company something like that uh just uh industry expertise everything it was like everything that you said it was check yep. check 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 uh we got this individual in uh a conversation with one of our, our mentors that mentor introduced him to someone else that other guy offered him a job he took the job and, and was like i'll take that instead and i was like uh okay like this is wild like I didn't expect to invest in your company for you to quit three weeks into this, but uh, I, I guess that's possible. And so, um, yeah, you never know what to expect, uh, even when everyone has it. Maybe that they, they don't have it the way that you think that they do. And so it's it's always interesting to. No, you don't. And, and that, you know, I, I talked about doing an investment once in 20 days, and that was probably the biggest mistake we made because, you know, I think there's no there's really. Um, um, not no substitute for getting to know people and one sure. gets to know people over a period of time in early stage investment. You don't always have the luxury of getting to know people for a long period of time. That's why the references become so important and the ties to other people who do know them in the warm intros become so important. Um, and it, it, because they, you want to know the people, you want to know how they're going to react under times of, of duress, uh, what motivates them, uh, what makes them think and, and, you know, if you don't have that firsthand knowledge, then proxies from trusted relationships are key. And since getting, since, them out of the, getting them out of the honeymoon phase. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Since you don't say no anymore, Tom, if you were to pass on a company, is there a, is there something uh, that is a, a particular reason that is trending as to why you would have to pass something that we can pass on to founders that they need to pay attention to? So what is the that is trending? I'm, I'm not one. I'm not sure I fully understand that question. But I will say the thing that's probably the greatest turnoff for us is any hint of uh, dishonesty or dissembly in the presentation of the company or the presentation of diligence. Um, you know, we we want people to be forthright. We want people to be transparent with us. That that is critical. Um, so that's I wouldn't say that that the opposite of that is trending in any way. But that's that is a, a deal breaker. Mm -hmm. For, uh, for us. Yeah, that is 100% in terms of, yeah, definitely not over-exaggerating number of customers, revenue. Uh, I mean, all that. Yeah, that's definitely a deal breaker. Yeah. You get caught. Don't peel back that onion if you're, you know, don't tell people a number uh, if that onion hasn't been peeled yet, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what I just said. That was ridiculous. After an hour of talking, I'm just like, ah. Tom, is there anything we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I, I, I guess... Uh, I would just say that we're, we're open for business. We've got um, a, a fresh pool of capital. We didn't really talk about the breadth of VIPC, uh, but, but we have other divisions that are also very useful and operate synergistically. Entrepreneurial ecosystems we touched upon that helps to uh, invest in entrepreneurial e e uh, infrastructure around the Commonwealth and houses our federal funding assistance program that's been an invaluable resource for helping companies get non-dilutive funds from the federal government. Uh, we work closely with the commercialization division under my colleague, Sean Mallon, who has a grant program that can make non-dilutive funds available to early stage, very early stage companies, pre-venture companies um, that, that is, is very useful and also incentivize the transfer of technology to universities. And finally, strategic initiatives, which sets the technology roadmap for the Commonwealth uh, and, and also provides um, some uh, significant market development opportunities in certain key technology areas. So we have an, an expanded organization with expanded mission and resources to deploy and look forward to working with uh, with founders and people in support of the entrepreneurial ecosystem around the Commonwealth. Yeah, and in, in addition to, to going to uh, virginiaipc.org uh, on Startwheel, if, you, if you're looking for the different events that are taking place with VIPC, uh, Folks, you can you can go to our events calendar and then you can filter out 
VIPC and uh, we have all the events that are there as well for you to participate in. You all have a lot of different things that are going on. In addition to the coffee meetups, uh, how to do the Cibber grants and, and get involved with all that. You, you all have a lot of stuff that's going on. It's, it's good stuff. That's right. Uh, we, we, we have multiple ways to contribute here, but I, I really do appreciate the opportunity to, to be with you and your audience today. Thanks so much. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you, Tom. Hey. Appreciate your time. And uh, yeah, that uh, looking forward to continuing the conversation. I wish you many, many successful investments uh, in your future. Excellent. Thank you so much. See you, Tom. Cheers. Hey.